One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about what happened when an Arizona family's innocent vacation photos were mistaken for child pornography. And I'll be talking about Donna and Ramsey Scrivo, a case with so many twists and turns that the less you know going in, the better. Really exciting things are happening for us on social media. First of all, Zach um, has a Facebook page. He is friends with one person, his wife. He has no photo. Um, And yet the other day I saw that he liked our page and I was like, man, this is support. He liked our page and he shared our episode. And I texted him and said, what the fuck are you doing? I'm your only friend. And clearly I know about the podcast already. And he said... I'm just trying to be supportive. (laughs) So if you would also like to be supportive, like my darling husband, head on over to our Facebook page. Give us a like. And tell one other person. Just only one. And preferably... Not one of us. Not one of us. <laughs> believe it or not, we actually, contrary to popular belief, already know about the podcast. <laughs> All right. Donna and Ramsey Scrivo. I don't know anything about this. Good. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. On the afternoon of January 30th, 2014, so exactly four years ago yesterday. Which people are going to figure out, like, wow, they really recorded a ton of Oh, shit, should I not say that? No, it's fine. Fuck. Let people know. (laughs) Let people know that we were really eager to record Not so eager to put them (laughs) on. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So two women were driving through rural... That's a, I shouldn't, I think I say that in here like five times. Like, what the fuck am I doing to myself? Rural Rural is a hard word word to say. Did you ever see the 30 Rock episode? The rural girl? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they're driving through rural St. Clair County, Michigan, when they notice several garbage, garbage bags (laughs) littering the snow-covered streets. So it's January, it's Michigan, there's fucking snow everywhere. Right. And then they see these big black garbage bags kind of like dotting the side of the street. There's like one in the middle of the street and it goes on for a ways. And this is a rural road. Correct. Okay. So they initially thought that it was just, you know, garbage bags or whatever. And then they saw like in the snow next to the bag what they thought was maybe blood. Oh no. And so they pulled over because they thought maybe it's a hunter dumping deer parts, but which is... You know, still illegal, but not uncommon. Yeah. And so they pull over and they kind of open the door and look out and there's a severed human head sticking oh out God. of one of the bags. Yes. Sticking out? Sticking of out of one of the bags. I would think of all the things you'd want to get into the bag. <laughs> the head, right? <laughs> so the women, of course, call 911 and the St. Clair County Sheriff's deputies come to the scene. In all, they locate... Seven large black trash bags spread over an area of nearly half a mile. So there, it's over two roads. Like, like it comes to an intersection and the person who's dumping them obviously turned one way because it just continues on for nearly half a mile. Seven bags. And it was really windy that day. So like one bag has like kind of blown in the wind and the shit that was inside of it's just left in the road. Yes. So was it? 
seven bodies in seven bags or seven... Ma'am, if you could hold on to your pants, I'll get to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel so ashamed. So spread out over half a mile. One bag contained a lower abdomen, pelvic area, and the attached buttocks. <laughs> Sorry, that was so immature. Buttocks, are you 12? That was so immature. Man, we're talking about someone who's dead. And I'm like, oh, I had a butt. She said butt. Another contained a left arm, right leg, and left thigh. The third had a bisected chest, while the fourth had a head, the right arm. I'm sorry. A head, the right thigh, and left leg. The fifth and sixth contained various organs, plastic material, five jigsaw blades, and nine unused matchsticks. What the fuck? The final bag held two towels, clothing, and a jigsaw caked in blood and tissue. Ew. Yeah. Oh my god. The contents of the bags made up an entire human body, oh. with the exception of the right arm. To this day, the right arm's never been found. Mm. Word of the gruesome discovery quickly hit the news and even made national news. Like, well, yeah, it, of course, like, weird. you know, you find this body chopped up into all these pieces. Yeah. So to understand how these bags made it to the middle of the road in this rural area, we need to know our key players, Donna and Ramsey Scrivo. Okay. Donna was born in 1954 in the close-knit community of Seagaville, Texas. Her father, like many people in town, worked at the federal prison. So there's a federal prison right mm-hmm. near Seagaville. Lots of people in that town worked at the prison. Her mother was a Sunday school teacher. Donna was said to be very popular in school. She was a cheerleader, but she was described as being just nice to everyone. She was friends with everyone, had a very large social circle, and was just very well-liked. After graduating high school, Donna followed in her father's footsteps and began working at the prison. It was there that she met Daniel Scrivo. Unlike Donna, though, Dan wasn't a guard. Uh-oh. Dan was an inmate. Mm-hmm. The two fell in love, and when he'd finished serving his three-year sentence, the two married and moved back to Dan's hometown of Detroit, Michigan. So... Um, Donna's family was shocked by the fact that she fell in love with an inmate. They were even more shocked by the fact that she married him and moved across the country to be near his family. So Dan's family was still in Detroit. And so that's, they moved there to kind of get on their feet and be near his family. And I have a very important question. Yes. What was he in for? I don't know. I wish I knew. But three years, it couldn't have (laughs) been It couldn't have been something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that was the one thing I couldn't find, and I was like, oh, I need to know this information. (laughs) So, Donna's family, not on board with her life decisions. Yeah. But she, like, she knew what she wanted, and she set about making a life, this life with her new husband Mm -hmm. in Detroit. So, Dan quickly took to married life, and he worked hard to provide for his new wife. He started a small painting company, and they were soon able to buy a nice home in the middle-class suburb of St. Clair Shores, which is a suburb of Detroit. It's, um, I think, close to an hour north of Detroit. Okay. Kind of sits between Detroit and the Canadian border. Cool. Okay. Um, it's like a 
there's a lake there. And so it's like everybody has a boat in that area. There's a big marina and just very solidly in the middle class. Okay. It was here in St. Clair Shores where they welcomed two sons, Jason in 1978 and then Ramsey in 1981. Donna was a stay-at-home mom until both boys entered school full-time. Then she went to nursing school, and she really excelled at her newfound career. She um, became, like, a nursing supervisor. Mm -hmm. She worked at a hospital. She worked, I think, at a surgery center. She worked in the nursing field for several years, but she still, you know, made time to make sure that her family was her, like, number one priority right Um, she said that being a wife and mother was her number one job and she worked hard to make them a comfortable family life the scrivo home was like the house to hang out at when the boys were growing up and donna was super proud of that like she loved that it was the place where her kids came where their friends came and she made sure that it was like the most comfortable place and everybody always felt welcome i know it's like (laughs) this was your like your house when we were growing up (laughs) Yes. Mom's always <laughs> interrupting with, does anyone need anything Yes, can drink? I get you something to drink? <laughs> Who wants brownies? Donna was super proud of her sons. Jason had grown up to become a firefighter, and that was a fact that Donna just bragged about. She was sure. very proud that her son, you know, had done that. Um, but she really doted on her younger son, Ramsey. Um, Ramsey struggled with mental health issues growing up and after graduating high school he kind of floated around to different colleges didn't have a real good grasp on what he wanted to do Mm -hmm. but finally he ended up um, receiving a degree in accounting from I think it was Wayne State University so I'm guessing that's somewhere in Michigan yeah maybe that's right should have googled that no no shouldn't have (laughs) go with it (laughs) You know, her sons are grown, and they're kind of doing their thing. Um, Donna, meanwhile, her job as a nurse has become a bit too stressful for her, and she ends up having a heart attack while she's working as a nurse, and she ends up having to leave the field, and she basically retires. She retires pretty young, but it's too much stress for her body, and so she leaves the field. Okay. Now, Ramsey, despite his battles with depression and anxiety, he was making a pretty good life for himself. He was selling insurance for Allstate, and it was going really well. He had his own condo that he was living in, and he was just, you know, living his life. Mm-hmm. Until tragedy struck in 2013 when his father passed away after a long battle with hepatitis C. So, oh. this made me kind of wonder if maybe he was in prison for a drug charge because commonly hepatitis c can be contracted from that way i'm not trying to make any judgments on dan's life you know or if you got a prison tattoo maybe. could be either yeah. way yeah so yeah so he battled with hepatitis c for okay. a long time yeah. um, and he ended up losing his battle in 2013 ramsey was extremely close to his father and he mm. did not handle his dad's death well at all Um, He actually was admitted to a psychiatric facility the day after his father passed away, after his family. This is a little bit unclear. They either suspected he was attempting suicide by Uh ingesting his father's morphine, or he threatened to commit suicide. Either way, they admitted him to a psychiatric facility, and he agreed to go in, and he sought some treatment. Donna also did not handle her husband's death well. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, really not. I mean, she, you know, described Dan as her soulmate, and they, you know, spent all these years together, and she really did not adjust well to him. I mean, it'd be horrible for anybody. Yeah, it would be. Losing your partner's terrible. But 
neither of them were handling the situation well at all. Okay. So following um, his father's death, Ramsey's behavior continued to spiral. Donna eventually petitioned the court to become his legal guardian. So he's 32 at this point. Oh, my. And she petitions the court and says that he is a danger to himself and others and that his anger has escalated to the point where he is threatening family members. He had been self-medicating with alcohol and had gotten into some bar fights, which actually led to some legal problems. He was on probation Mm -hmm. um, for getting in bar fights. Um, So the court agreed that Ramsey needed to be in the care of a guardian and appointed Donna in May of 2013. Oh, no. Ramsey told the court that he would petition to end the guardianship in six months, but during that time, he would take it seriously, he would take his medication, he'd cooperate with treatment, and he would follow his mother's rules. And this is 2013? 2013, yes. gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Things were going well with this guardianship until September. Roughly, what, what's that? Four months go by? <laughs> that was quick math. Five, five, and nine. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't major in accounting. Yes, roughly four months go by. So, September 2013, Ramsey removes the crown on one of his teeth, believing that it was a speaker that somebody had planted oh, on no. him. Oh, no. Yes. Following that incident, doctors diagnosed him with paranoia and psychosis. Um, feeling Ramsey needed round-the-clock care and supervision, Donna decided she would move into his condo with him. Also, at the same time, wherever Donna was living, I'm unclear if it was a house or a townhouse or apartment. Yeah. Some kind of fire had happened, and she needed some repairs done to her place. So while the repairs are being done, she takes the opportunity to move in with Ramsey, kind of kill two birds with one stone. She can be there, she can supervise him, and her home can be repaired from whatever fire took place there. Family members were deeply concerned about this proposed arrangement because they thought Ramsey and Donna, while they were close, they butted heads a lot. And so they were very concerned that the situation would become volatile. Well, yeah. And if he's threatening to harm family members. Absolutely. Yikes. Yeah. So Ramsey's aunt, Donna's sister-in-law, so her husband's. Uh-huh. Her husband's sister even offered for Ramsey to come stay with her while Donna stayed at his place. And, you know, wow. uh, this she felt like that would be a better situation. Yeah. Despite their concerns, though, Donna, a 110-pound, 60-year-old woman, moved in with her 32-year-old, 230-pound, oh, no. mentally ill son. Oh, no. The events that followed inside that condo will probably never fully be known and will certainly never be understood. So this brings us back to January 30th, 2014, where the medical examiner, who happens to be our friend, Dr. Daniel Spitz, you remember him? (laughs) Yes. You remember him from the Robert Newlander case that I did? So he happens to be the medical examiner in this part of Michigan. Isn't that crazy? Man, that guy. (laughs) It almost makes me think of like a TV show. Right. Like, Like, hey, Columbo, how long does this keep coming to you? Exactly. (laughs) So he is attempting to put together a human puzzle. Oh, gross. To determine who the remains belong to. And what happened to that person? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm guessing that at this time you have an idea of who those remains are. Uh, yeah. And I'm also guessing that you're wrong. What? <laughs> because at this same time, a witness came forward 
who saw someone driving a silver SUV and dumping bags of garbage in the area. A check of cameras in the area show this same car and footage of its driver at a gas station just down the road from where the remains were dumped. The footage shows the driver of that vehicle to be a petite white woman in her late 50s to early 60s. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. Yes. What the Yes. (laughs) Are you serious? Yes, ma'am. So if you thought those remains oh were Donna's Frivo, that is not the case. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Yes. I not yes. <laughs> oh my God. Tell me so, more. just about the same time that this person of interest is made public, so the news kind of do, um, they release pictures of these closed circuit TVs that were, mm-hmm. you know, have the footage of this woman going to the gas station. So they release those on the news. Right about that same time, the police receive a call from Donna Scrivo. She told the police that she had seen coverage of the recovered remains on TV, and she wanted to see if she could possibly identify them as her son, Ramsey, whom she'd reported missing three days earlier. Um, she claimed that he'd left the house to buy cigarettes and had never returned. Uh-huh. So the police encouraged her to come down to the station and discuss her missing son further. And upon positively identifying her as the woman in the surveillance videos, they placed her under arrest. Well, oh, <laughs> why the hell? Uh, like, she just had to come forward? She just had to right? be yeah. known? Yeah, and the remains were, in fact, those of her son, Ramsey. Sure. yeah. So then... Is this like when the murderer just has to show up to the <laughs> Right? Funeral? Like, I think that there had to be something in her mind that was like, well, if I come forward first, then that'll show them that I'm not the person that did it. I'm just concerned about my missing son. Uh-huh. I'm guessing is kind of how... But she had what to was know happening. that those photos were out in the media. Right. I okay. So on February 3rd, 2014, Donna Scrivo was arraigned on charges of disinterment and mutilation of a dead body... And removal of a dead body without medical examiner permission. So these, this is the reason for these charges. At this time, the cause of death had not yet been determined. So they couldn't say. So they couldn't say. Exactly. Yeah. But they, from the time that they arrested her, they had 72 hours to charge her with something. Yeah. Or she had to be released. So these okay. were the things they could prove at that time. Yep. Um, do what you gotta do. Yes. So the charges were later amended to add first-degree premeditated murder. Donna was deemed a flight risk and was denied bond. So they do some preliminary hearings to determine her competency because it's a crazy situation. What mother chops her son up? Right? Well, and especially when she seemed like the one who had it all together. Correct. Exactly. So she's deemed competent to stand trial, Uh and the trial begins in May of 2015. During opening statements, Assistant Prosecutor William Cataldo told the jury that the crime was unspeakable, planned, premeditated, and carried out by the victim's own mother. Cataldo told the jury that when a child dies before a parent, it's a tragedy, He said in this case, Ramsey Scrivo literally died at the hands of his mother. Mm. And the facts in the case are atrocious. 
Don Escrivo's attorney, however, Mark Haddad, told jurors that his client was a caring and doting mother who was dealing with a psychotic, suicidal son. He said that there were no skin cells or drops of blood linking her to the killing and no reason the prosecution had for the crime, no big life insurance policy or evidence that the victim abused his mother. He said, it's a murder case that's full of holes. What reason on earth would she have to kill him? He asked the jurors before asking them that they find her not guilty. Okay. So first to testify is our friend, Dr. Daniel Spitz, the medical examiner. Uh He testified that Ramsey had three medications in his body at the time of his death, including a near fatal level of Xanax. Hmm. He said that the intoxication from that drug was a contributing factor in the death, but that the cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation due to strangulation. Dr. Spitz testified that it was unclear exactly how the asphyxiation occurred due to the condition of the remains, but that there were ligature marks present on the neck and that the Adam's apple was fractured. Okay. Um, He also testified that there were charring on parts of the body where it looked like someone had attempted to burn the remains. Uh. Yes. Um, The next to testify was St. Clair Shores Police Detective Sergeant Jay Cahoe. Um, He testified about a search warrant executed on the Scrivo's residence. So he said as soon as the investigators opened the door of the condo, they were just hit in the face with the overwhelming aroma of bleach. Mm -hmm. They smelled bleach at the front door, in the bathroom, in the bedroom. They found blue tarps around the kitchen table and found charring in the bathtub and on Mm -hmm. the shower wall. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah. They saw noticeable discoloration on the bedroom carpet, and the vacuum had, quote, a lot of cleaning stuff caked up on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coho said there, were blood in va- there was blood in various areas, including sp- spattered on the walls, on the banister, on some doors. So it looked like somebody had attempted to clean up this crime scene, but, but they hadn't been super thorough. There was lot. just a shit ton of blood! Well, <laughs> she didn't have a ton of time. <laughs> Oh, my. So, he also testified Mm -hmm. that Donna had access to a silver SUV. The SUV was her late husband's, and she had donated it to charity the day after the remains were found. Oh, gross. (laughs) Yes. So, they were able to track down this SUV to Uh an auto, like an auto salvage auction. They open it up, looking blood all over the inside of this car. What the hell? Yes. Yeah. And she just thought she could get away with... Just, I mean, if she, if it's just donated, nobody can find it, right? Well, and yeah, this won't raise any eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? Oh, yes. What the hell? Yeah. Two of Ramsey's neighbors also testified during the trial. Mm-hmm. So the first one to testify was... Uh, so he, this was like a condo, more like, a, like what we would call a townhouse, where there's, you know, yeah. units on each mm-hmm. side. And so Ramsey's unit was kind of in the middle. So first to testify was his his uh neighbor on one side and she said that for two or three days the week that the remains were found she heard strange noises coming from ramsey's condo she said she heard pounding and cutting and sawing but she described the sounds as sneaky and when asked by the prosecutors what she meant by sneaky, yeah. she said it sounded as if someone was trying to, like, cover up the noises or, 
make sure no one was hearing them. So she said it would be like they were like, cut, cut, cut. And then they'd stop and wait. And then they'd cut, cut, cut again. Like, uh, trying to see if any, is this getting the attention of anybody? Is anybody going to come see what's happening here? Yeah. So she said it was very odd because Ramsey was pretty handy and he often did projects around the house. But uh-huh. the fact that, like, this was done in the middle of the day and, like, the the way that the noises sounded, it just seemed very sneaky to her. Okay, yeah. She also said that she smelled something strange around that same time. She said initially she thought maybe there was some kind of gas leak because she couldn't really tell what the smell was. She thought maybe it was something burning, but it wasn't like the building was on fire. It was a smell she'd never smelled before. She said she looked out of her windows to see if maybe there were utility work, like they were repaving the road yeah. or something outside. No utility work. Oh, my God. Um, she said that she was so concerned about the smell that she wanted to call somebody to have it checked out, but she couldn't decide who she was supposed to call. Yeah. She could, didn't know, know what it was. So she, you know, do I call the fire department? Do I call the police? Do I call the utility company? She oh didn't know God. who she should call. And so she thought, well, if it lasts, you know, more than today, I'll go next door and see, you know, see if what Ramsey says about it. The oh. the smell didn't continue on. And so she never, she never looked into it further. Thank God she never went over there. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's the one neighbor on the one side. Okay. The second neighbor on the other side testified that she had seen Donna Scrivo loading several large black garbage bags into her silver SUV. Mm. She said she'd taken special notice because, like, Donna was carrying these bags down the driveway into the back of the car, and she was clearly struggling with them. They were very heavy. She was having trouble manipulating them. And she wondered, why isn't Ramsey helping her with that? Oh. Turns out it's because he was in the bags. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, so just terrible. Yeah. So, so yeah. So she, the other, so the one neighbor smells and hears things. The other neighbor sees Donna loading these bags into the SUV. It's not looking good for Donna. I feel like both of those neighbors were really lucky. I mean, the one for not going over and checking on the side. Yeah. The other one for not being like, I should go help her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So now it's Donna's time to kind of put on their defense. So first they argue... Look, Donna is 110 pounds. Mm-hmm. Ramsey was 230 pounds. She could never have possibly done this. Unless he was Unless he's cut up into mind. pieces, yeah. drugged yeah. out of his mind and cut up into pieces, yeah. right? Yeah. So the final person to testify at Donna Scrivo's murder trial was Donna herself. Oh no. Oh bad idea, Donna. Yeah, so I listened I listened to this thing that an expert was saying that um, in criminal cases, I think specifically murder cases they might have been talking about, like less than 10% of the time does the defendant take the stand. Yeah, you really shouldn't in right, general. because it just opens you up to so much. Yeah. So she took the stand in her own defense and painted a very different picture of events that took place in January of 2013. Donna testified that she had come home that week 
to interrupt a masked intruder in the process oh, of assaulting and murdering Ramsey, oh, and that the man had held her hostage in the home for five days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, you've had all this time to come up with a good story, and that's what she came up with. She testified that the man held her at gunpoint for five days uh-huh. and forced her to assist him in the dismemberment and disposal of her son. <laughs> she testified that he forced her to travel to Lowe's uh-huh. and purchase the saw which they always would use. Feel forced to go to Lowe's. I'm like, no! So, yes. So she says that not only did she do this under his mm-hmm. insistence, that during the trip he was actually in the car with her hiding in the floorboards. Oh. Yes. So they call this kid at Lowe's. Like, they call him yes, to testify. Yes. And he's like, she seemed totally fine to me. Like, she even, this is crazy, she even exchanged the saw for a different one, like, two different times. She bought three different saws and took one back and exchanged it, another one back and exchanged oh it. God. And, like, the kid that helped her at Lowe's was like, well, what kind of project are you doing? And uh-huh. she's like, you know, just just a project around the house. Oh. And so the prosecution's like, is cutting up your son a project around the house? Mm. <laughs> so. If this were a bad movie, she would have had some weird pun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, she testified that this man was hiding in her car when she was on video at the gas station. And that he had been in the car when she dumped the bags of remains. Mm-hmm. She even testified that he had been in the car when she'd gone to the police station to file a missing persons report on Ramsey. She said that this man knew Ramsey and that Mm -hmm. he specifically mentioned some person that Ramsey had some kind of beef with and that this was like in being done like because of the Ramsey's interaction with this okay, person. Okay. He said that she said that the guy told her that she she didn't know him, mm-hmm. but that he knew her family and that if she didn't do everything that he said that he would kill her family. Sure. Mhm. Okay. So when asked why she didn't say anything to any of the dozens of people she came in contact right, with right. during these few days. She said she was scared. She said she didn't know what to do. She didn't trust anybody. She only trusted the man that had the gun on her head. And she didn't even trust the police to take her seriously if she said something to them. I'm sorry. You're in the fucking police department and you're you're not going to tell them that there's a man holding you hostage and then he's in your car? And I understand worrying that people won't take you seriously. But if he's literally out in the parking lot in your car, yes. you can just say, go, go to the, to the car. Yes. yes, exactly. You'll find him huddled down in the floorboards. Yeah. So... During cross-examination, the prosecutor just fucking tears her apart. Yeah. Of course. He asked her if she really expected the jury to believe this story, and she said, Yes. This is horrible. You're right. I'm not mother of the year. (laughs) I have multiple problems, but I think I did everything I could to protect the rest of my family. 
God. In a very heated exchange, the prosecutor disagreed with her, yelling, If I were in your shoes, I would have done anything I could have to save my family. If this man had already killed one son and was threatening to kill the other, I would have stopped him by any means necessary, even if that meant ramming my car into a wall at full speed. You didn't do that. Hmm. I mean, I have trouble disagreeing with him. Like, if it's... As a mother, you've already lost one son. If this, if, if the yeah. scenario is the truth. Yeah. Don't you do anything to protect the rest of your family? See, it's hard for me because I'm like, okay, for, if there ever was, you know, I do not buy this at all. I don't but, yeah, yeah. but yes. if, if there was a situation, I has, I would really hesitate to be like, this is how I would handle it. Because yeah. Who knows? Who knows exactly? When you're but, in a situation, how, how you would handle it. But, yeah. No. No. No fucking way. No. She was alone with too many people for yes, too long. Yes, for too long. Yes. No. Yeah. Something I missed, and I wish I would have written it down, it just popped in my head here. Uh, somebody came to the house during this supposed time, mm. and Donna testified that during that time that the man was standing just behind the door and had a gun on her while she was having an interaction with whoever this person... I think it was a friend of Ramsey's. Right. Okay. She's having an interaction with this person. That person testified and said, the door wasn't hiding anything. She was standing there. She was just fine. She seemed like her normal self. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. There was no man hiding behind the door. Yeah, she didn't have it open just Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, perhaps the most shocking part of <laughs> Donna's intruder story. Okay. Is the fact that the first time she told this version of events to anyone other than her lawyer, apparently... Was on the stand. No. No. Yes. During all of her interactions with police and investigators leading up to the trial, she never once mentioned this masked intruder. Come on. Yes. So what was the explanation for that? Or was there? There wasn't one. She said that she did tell police, but police were like... Yeah. yeah, no. Don't you think we'd be fucking looking for that we, guy if you... We would have remembered Yes! <laughs> Believe me, we would have remembered that. Oh, my God. In all, Donna testified for about three hours before the defense rested. Don't you wonder about her attorney? Like, surely that attorney was like, are you sure you so want to... So, <laughs> I didn't include this in here because... I, it was a, it's a little bit weird, but at one point during when she's being questioned by her own attorney, uh-huh. she goes off on this tangent about how it was such a stressful time and that there were little men everywhere with glowing oh. eyes. Oh my. And he just like, like, <sighs> like audibly uh. sighs and then quickly changes the subject. So I am guessing that this was probably his nightmare of a of a client and that he was probably just trying to do the best he could and i'm guessing that she probably didn't listen to a lot of his advice maybe about not testifying i wonder if there was an opportunity to do an insanity thing so they in the beginning remember they deemed her competent to stand trial so yeah so no and no big point was made out of that statement it was really just kind of i just kind of came to it kind of as in yeah a, in like you know passing it was not but it was like clearly the 
Like, the defense attorney was like, fuck, let's get away from that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I... I think that it, probably the defense attorney probably did the best that he could do under yeah, the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, in his closing arguments, Prosecutor Cataldo told the jury that Donna's intruder story was fake and that she was clearly the murderer. Yeah. He said, you either believe that crap <laughs> <laughs> or you believe the physical evidence. Was I the attorney? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he finished by saying, mother of the year? I don't think so. <laughs> well, that's just rude. Yes. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. defense attorney Haddad told jurors in his closing argument that they can't vote guilty based on a suspicion, a possibility, or a probability. He said Scrivo would have had to have been, quote, the stupidest murderer in the world unless she was forced at gunpoint to do these seemingly stupid things. Um, <laughs> some people are just stupid. stupid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yes. The jury deliberated for only one hour and oh. 40 minutes oh my God. before returning a guilty verdict on all counts. Donna Scrivo was sentenced to the mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yeah. Her son, Jason, her older son, reportedly mm-hmm. has no contact with his mother now. Yeah. I think it'd be hard to... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a little note, I'd like to say, Sword and Scale, which is a podcast that I love, they have mm-hmm. an amazing two-part episode on this case, okay. and it includes a lot of the audio from the trial, so you can hear Donna What's her testifying. It's so this is actually it's interesting that you asked that because she is so soft spoken that they kept having to ask her to speak up because they're mic'd, you know? Yeah. But they're only mic'd to be recorded. That doesn't amplify their voice. Yeah. And so even her attorney kept having to be like, you need to speak up, the jury can't hear you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she's very soft spoken, just very kind of meek and little. She's a she was a hundred and ten pound little sixty year old woman. Oh my god. Yeah. Doesn't it make you wonder what she was like as a nurse? Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, surely this wasn't the first yeah. crazy thing she did. Right. There's um, also an episode of Snapped about her. That's actually where I first heard of this case. Uh-huh. So I definitely recommend that you check both those things out. Because <laughs> <laughs> this case is fucking nuts. It is crazy. <laughs> yes. It is absolutely crazy. Yes. <sighs> yeah, she just sounds really stupid. Yeah. So, you know, the prosecution really never put forth a motive, and that was kind of the defense's big thing, is that um, there was no motive behind it. There was no life insurance. What did she gain from Mm -hmm. killing her son? It was kind of rumored around town, like through friends and stuff, that she had recently, well, this part wasn't rumored, this part's Mm -hmm. true, that she had recently gone back to Texas for a reunion and had met up with old friends and that there was kind of a former flame there and that she was really interested in moving back to Texas, but Ramsey wouldn't and she was his guardian. And so she... God. That might have been the reason. What an awful... Awful reason. Yes. Yeah. I mean, really, is there any good reason to <laughs> murder and chop up your son, Kristen? Well, if there's a man in your floorboards making you do it, then what are you going to do, right? Forcing you to go to Lowe's? That's right. I mean, I have to be forced at gunpoint to go to Lowe's. This terrible. episode is not brought to you by Lowe's, clearly. <laughs> it's brought to you by Home Depot. <laughs> 
JK, we hate them both. <laughs> Home projects are the worst. <laughs> That's the story of Donna and Ramsey Scrivo. That was awesome. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and man, that... So many plot twists. Yes! <laughs> including, I... Man, I felt so sorry for her. I was like, this poor little lady was chopped up. Right? Yes. Uh, no. No, she was not. Oh, my God. Okay. You ready for mine? I am. I'm so excited for your expertise on I'm this one. I'm really excited about it, too. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to yeah. drop some knowledge on you. All right. Here we go. So, in 2008... Lisa and A.J. Demery took their three daughters on a family vacation to San Diego. The girls were five, four, and one and a half. After vacation, they got home to Peoria, Arizona, and A.J. dropped off the memory stick for their camera at Walmart to develop the photos. Okay. Going to need your expertise in a minute here. Okay, so there were 144 photos, and most of them, I think, were just kind of normal vacation photos. And eight of them were just of the girls playing during bath time. A little bit about these eight photos. Mm-hmm. The girls were, like, some of them were the girls in towels with their arms around one another. Some of them just kind of in towels hanging out. Mm-hmm. Some There was one where all three girls were laying down on a towel with their bare butts showing. And I guess a little bit of their genitals were showing, but nothing, no front genitalia. Yeah. And the girls were not involved in any sexual activity right. in these photos. But, you know, the Walmart employee who was developing the photos saw these and flagged them as pornographic, got kind of concerned, and notified the police. Mm-hmm. Which was, I. it's my understanding that that was kind of Walmart's policy at the time. Like, if you see anything inappropriate, uh-huh. we just hand it over to the police. If it's a question, you know, you let the police be the experts. Right. So my question to you. Okay. So you used to work yes. at Walgreens in yes. the photo center. I was, I was a photo tech okay. at Walgreens. And so these were kind of the rules on, on explicit pictures. Okay. Nudity you could print. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of sexual activity you could not. That was deemed pornography and you could not print it. Anything that we deemed like questionable nature, mm-hmm. um, if it seemed the possibility like the, like this, that it was child pornography, we were instructed as phototechs to not print the pictures, turn cut the negative. So at that time, we didn't use digital. Like yeah. It was kind of when I... You know, many moons ago, when I was a photo tech, we developed actual film. <laughs> so we actually had to cut the negatives out uh-huh. of those suspected pictures. We put a notice in the pictures that they got back that some photos had been flagged. Okay. And that their they their negatives had been removed. And then I was just instructed to turn that information over to store management. And store management would, would make, the make the call on. And I actually had to do this one time. Right. I, yeah, I had one time I had a man, he was an uh, an older man. Mm-hmm. He had photos of bath time, but it was like landscape pictures. Right. And then like four photos of a little girl at bath time laying in the bathtub, like sprawled out. And then she had like a washcloth over like her chest. Oh. And then there was like a bath toy like across her body. They were so suggestive. It made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever had anything 
you know, remotely close to child pornography. There was no act being taken, but the pictures were so suggestive and inappropriate that I did it. I followed the policy, turned it into my manager, and yeah. the man never said anything about his pictures being flagged when he picked them up, so mm-hmm. that leads me to believe mm-hmm. that probably he... Yeah, because if they were totally innocent, you'd be like... Yeah, you'd be like, you, what, do you, what do you mean? Where are my pictures? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you know if your store manager... Turned? I don't. I don't know whatever happened with it, if they ever turned anything over to anybody wow. or... Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not glad you had that experience. <laughs> but um, I... It's interesting that you had that experience where... Kind of the same deal. Yeah. You, you didn't see any sexual activity. Correct. And it sounds like some some private areas were covered. Yes. But it was just like, it just, like, though the picture made you uncomfortable. Yes. It seemed weird. It Absolutely. seemed suggestive. Yes. Okay. Very so suggestive. That's, that's kind of what yeah. the Walmart photo Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. AJ dropped that memory stick off at Walmart mm-hmm. on a Friday. Next day, police arrived at his home. Oh I mean, gosh. it was fast. So, two detectives arrived at the home mm-hmm. with photocopies of the photos, and they interviewed the couple separately. Mm-hmm. Detective John Krause showed AJ the photo of the girls laying naked on the towel, which was kind of a close shot of their butts with, again, some yeah. genitals visible. Yeah. And here was their exchange. Detective, what are you going to do with that one? AJ, I'm not going to do anything with that one. That's not going into a photo album. That's just one we have. Detective, obviously you're not going to share that with somebody, I would hope. AJ, no, absolutely not. Detective, why would you take a photo like this in the first place? AJ, so when we look back on them years later, look at their cute little butts. That sounds so innocent to me. Yes, yes. And I mean, I'll just tell you because I don't want for even a second for these people to go through anything worse than they've already got through. Like, they they weren't doing anything wrong. Yeah. These were truly innocent photos. Yeah. Which, like, I'm pretty sure we have bath time photos of me as a kid. Absolutely. Like, who doesn't have a picture of their kid's bare butt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, were the kids 13? Because then, yes, it's inappropriate. (laughs) But... I don't think this this is crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. So the couple was completely shocked, and they were yeah. like, you know, they they were just stunned that the police were at their home, and they were like, you've got to be kidding me. These are just photos of us and the kids just goofing around. It's bath time. There's nothing gross yeah. or perverted going on here. But police investigated them for sexual abuse. So they raided the family home. They seized all electronics and undeveloped film. They put the children in protective custody. They interviewed the children, did medical exams on all of them. They interviewed about 30 family members and friends to determine whether Lisa and AJ had sexually abused their children. Lisa and AJ underwent a psychological evaluation. I mean... Oh my god! Yes, yes. And so during... During the interview, you know, the three children were interviewed separately. One of the girls said that her mother, quote, tickled around her private. So. But that could be like the inside of her leg. Yeah. Okay. Like, going back to my childhood, I was a very ticklish child. I'm still fucking ticklish now, but don't you dare fucking touch me. I'm not playing. (laughs) (laughs) But I was specifically very ticklish on my, like, the inside of my leg. And so, like. 
my dad and my mom would tickle me there because they knew it was my most ticklish spot. In no way was it inappropriate I'm or calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming for you. No, I think what's hard about this is like I can see how maybe in that moment hearing that when you're all it's already in your head that maybe these people are abusing these children that could be alarming. But I I completely agree with you. Tickled around her private like that could mean yeah yeah. I mean that that just. Ugh. Especially knowing what we know now. It's like, oh, God. That... Well, let me tell you about the abuse I suffered when I was a kid. <laughs> so... One time, when my mom was tickling me, she knocked out my front teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you for real? I'm for real! Oh, she was my... like, she was tickling me. Uh-huh. And she, like, I was, you know, trying yeah. to get away from it. And like, I think her knee came up and it oh. hit me in the mouth and it knocked out. My front tooth was already loose, but it knocked my tooth out. But I could have complained mm-hmm. that my mom beat me and knocked my teeth out. And... Real missed opportunity. That's correct. <laughs> wow. Hindsight. And this case is all about hindsight. <laughs> So, you know, luckily the children's interview and medical examinations didn't turn up anything. Everything oh seemed gosh. fine. Yeah. But, you know, in in the detective's defense, medical exams can turn up normal, but there still might be something. Absolutely. Up. But but still, everything looked fine, so the girls were allowed to go back to their parents. But just as the search was about to wrap up, Child Protective Services employee Laura Peterson showed up and started talking to police. So, based on her conversation with, de- with Detective John Krause, Peterson assumed that there would be felony child exploitation charges brought against both parents. She reviewed the photos, she really didn't like what she saw, and the detective seemed to have a bad gut feeling too. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah, Laura Peterson thought that the kids might be in danger. Wow. Here's the catch. You know, she's feeling like the kids are in danger. Yeah. She didn't have a court order or a warrant to keep them from going back to the home. Plus, they were at the start of a three-day weekend, so it would have taken longer than usual to get a court order or a warrant to remove Uh the kids from the home. So what she did, she asked her supervisor for permission to put the kids in emergency temporary custody, and the supervisor agreed. What? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I'm like devastated for these parents. I know. Oh, I know. It gets a little worse. Okay. So the five and four year old went to one foster home. <gasps> the infant went to another. Oh my. Now, gosh. luckily, two days later, the kids were all allowed to go to their grandparents' house. Oh, thank God. Yeah, but they were there for a month. Like oh this was my not some gosh. quick, quick thing. Which. I don't know. I, I feel really conflicted on this. So I, I'm, ju- I'm just going to keep going and we'll, we'll yeah. talk. But, um, well, I mean, you definitely, you hear so often about social services not following, yes. not, not doing enough to protect kids. Uh-huh. And we so, come down really hard on them when absolutely. that happens. Absolutely. So well, don't you want them to err on the side of caution? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? Ultimately. I think that's my, my conflict uh, here. Yeah. I was thinking about this last night. I feel like this is one of those rare, weird situations that sucks for everyone involved, but no one's wrong. Right. Which maybe you'll feel differently, but I just... Well, I'll um, I'll be sure to tell you. (laughs) Don't you you worry. keep that to yourself. (laughs) So like I 
I said, the investigation didn't turn up anything. Uh, so one month after the girls were taken away, Lisa and AJ regained custody of their daughters. Authorities didn't bring any charges against mm-hmm. them. They were pretty much cleared. A judge reviewed the pictures and decided, no, these are just normal family photos. They're nothing, yeah. nothing to be alarmed about. But Lisa and AJ had been put on the sex offender registry. Holy shit! And I'm not sure for how, how long. How does that work if you don't have charges? I don't know. I don't know if that was like a precautionary right? thing or Oh what. my gosh. Yeah. And Lisa was suspended from her job for a year because she worked at a school. Holy shit. Yes. Oh my gosh. And she was completely innocent. Yeah. I and mean, she didn't do anything wrong. But at the same time... I'm glad that that school had a policy. Exactly. Like, I, what if she had? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be like, let's Holy wait and crap. See. Yeah. You're right. This is awful on all sides. Yes, it's I mean, awful I feel... for everybody. I feel terrible Every, for I everyone. I think probably everyone followed procedure, mm-hmm. and it still is awful. Yeah, I mean, everyone down to the Walmart employee. Yeah. Like, they were just kind of like, my assumption is... I'm gonna I'm gonna do my job. The police can do their yeah, job. They'll, yes, they'll, they'll be the out. ones to decide. Yes. Yeah. So looking back, Lisa said, "It was a nightmare. It was unbelievable. I was in so much disbelief. I started to hyperventilate. I tried to breathe it out." So that was kind of her initial reaction. Yeah. Ugh. Lisa and AJ were angry. Uh-huh, probably. <laughs> so they looked at each other and said, "Let's go to court." <laughs> I want to work that into every podcast now. <laughs> when I write that out, I'm like, hey. <laughs> I'm, just I'm so hilarious. <laughs> I can't wait for like one word, just one person, so I can be like, and then he looked in the mirror. And said, Let's go to court. I'm anxiously awaiting that one. Oh yeah, it's coming. Don't you worry. So, they sued the two Child Protective Services employees, mm-hmm. plus the detective in the case, mm-hmm. saying that their constitutional rights had been violated. They also sued the state attorney general and the town of Peoria, Arizona, for defamation. Wow. And then they sued Walmart for their unsuitable print policy, which allowed Walmart to give photos to police without the customer's knowledge. Mm-hmm. I wondered about that policy. Okay. Because... That does seem like an extreme step to me to go directly to police without having the customer have knowledge. I don't know. See, I disagree with you. I feel Mm -hmm. like if there's a chance that there's child pornography involved or something like that, then, like, fuck the customer. I just... And I get that, but I feel like this is such a... I feel like there has to be levels of, you know, impropriety that like, okay, maybe this is a level one where you don't print it and you tell the customer. Maybe a level two is, you know, it goes, I don't know. This just seems like, it seems like a very extreme interpretation of the policy. See, in my fear, and Mm -hmm. maybe this is just me being like way too scared of this stuff. Mm -hmm. My fear is if you get someone on a level one and you just go to that customer and you say, hey, we can't print this. Yeah. If they really are into child pornography, then they know, okay, Okay, I just can't have have this printed printed. I guess you're right. Yeah. I mean, that is one way to look at it. Whereas if you just send it to the police and the police investigate, then... Now, there's a chance that someone's life gets really turned upside down and horrible for a while... And they might be innocent. Like the Fresh or, Prince? Dude, what, <laughs> what, what, His what? wife got flipped, turned upside down. <laughs> so I'm not 
unintentional plagiarism. <laughs> I said to the candy go tell you later. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you a quick a sure. quick antidote. <laughs> anecdote, uh, not an antidote, just to please. clarify. Yes. About a time I worked at Walgreens and I had to follow another policy. So we also had a no print policy if it was suspected to be a a um professional photo because they, the person isn't necessarily on the rights to oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. if somebody brings in a digital copy of a professional photo, we have to tell them, sorry, we can't print They've it. They've got, unless, like, a Van Gogh thing. Yeah, like, unless no. you have... Or just, like, a photo taken at a, um, like, at a photo studio. Okay. So the photo studio owns the rights to those pictures. Gotcha. So unless the person has a release for them mm-hmm. signed by the photographer, then we couldn't print them. So this guy comes in, and he's got these clearly professional pictures of his wife like they're in a photo studio and so I'm like I tell him you know I give him his pictures and I'm like oh I'm sorry unfortunately we weren't able to print these you know these three and he's like I don't understand why and I was like well they're professional pictures and he's like well that's that's very nice of you to think that but no these are just pictures I took I'm like these are posed pictures in a in a photo studio and like due to copyright laws we can't print them Mm -hmm. unless you have a release and he goes I shit you not uh, I don't know who you think you are, if you think you're some photo god, but uh, you don't get to decide what what you print and what you don't print. Uh, I was like, actually, I do. Actually, I am the photo I god. I am the photo god. Thank you. Bow down, bitches. <laughs> Sorry to take you away from this. How dare you? It just just popped in my head. So, (laughs) you know, all these lawsuits, and again, I I feel like suing Walmart was a bit extreme. Yeah. Um, And a judge agreed. So, a judge dismissed the cases against Peoria, the state attorney general, and Walmart. Uh She was like, nah. Yeah. And here's a statement from Walmart after the case against them was dismissed. We recognize that this... Did you just sigh like, oh, God. No! <laughs> oh, God. Here, Here we go. go. She's going to read a statement. <laughs> no. She's going to mess it up. And we're gonna we have to, have to do it three it. times. <laughs> Which is true every time I have to read from the script. No. <laughs> I did not sigh, I promise. Okay. I have all the confidence in the world in you. Thank I you. I believe in you. Okay, so this is the statement from Walmart. We recognize this has been emotional for everyone involved. It's a sensitive situation that we have taken seriously from the beginning. Given state law, we believe our associates acted appropriately in notifying authorities, who then decided whether to investigate, and the trial court agreed in dismissing this case. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Their associates did what they had to do. They followed policy. Yeah. 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 They're not the ones who went and raided the home and did all this, you know. Exactly. Although that would be crazy. The detective settled with the family out of court. So that just left the two social workers. Uh In 2014, the district judge made quick work of this thing. The judge gave a summary judgment in favor of the social workers. And that's when a judge set, like, basically sides with one party without Mm -hmm. going for the full trial. So it's a judicial quickie. A judicial quickie! Which it's weird they don't include that with the yeah, definition. But that's, that's clearly, what, clearly it is. what it is. Yes. Yeah. 
So the judge said that since the social workers were employees of the Arizona government, they had qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. So what does qualified immunity mean? I bet you'll it, tell us. It, I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the real definition, not just one I made up. <laughs> qualified immunity shields public officials from damages for civil liability. <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't even read it wrong that time. I just was nervous. <laughs> okay. Qualified immunity shields public officials from damages for civil liability so long as they did not violate an individual's clearly established statutory or constitutional rights. Okay. In other words, this judge thought the social workers were working within their rights and no one's constitutional rights had been violated. Yes. Lisa and AJ disagree clearly because that was their whole yeah yeah they were like uh no pretty sure pretty sure yeah yes okay here's my question sure when the detectives show up to question them did they go in like SWAT style and like bust through the windows (laughs) like in Christmas vacation. You know, since there were only two of them, that would have been, like, really... Like, they'd have to have a really small house. (laughs) Lisa and AJ appealed, and here's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. First, they wanted the summary judgment from the lower court sealed. Mm -hmm. They felt that the documents could be used for improper purposes, and they wanted to protect the privacy of their children. What does that mean? Improper purposes? Um... The court interprets that one way, and I interpret it the same. I'm going to tell you what the court okay. said, and maybe okay. that'll explain. Okay. The court was like, no. Mm-hmm. The district court did a good job keeping your children's names and all other identifying information private. The court also used clinical, anatomically correct language, so no one's going to get titillated reading these documents. Right, I gotcha. I, so, I, that's what I wondered yeah, if that's yeah. what that and meant. And I think okay. that's what they meant. Okay. Which, did uh, the judge really say titillated? Oh, they used some kind of word. Let me let me look it up. But but it was I maybe they did use titillated. But I mean, they basically really were like, nobody's gonna be yeah. like there are better ways to get turned on, folks. Yeah. Like, yeah. You heard him from me first. <laughs> the other thing they mentioned, and this this I totally agree with too. They were like, Lisa and AJ, you both have done interviews in which you go into way more detail than, uh, than these, these court do. documents mm-hmm. do, and like those are yeah. available for everyone to see. Um, a hair just went down my shirt and it's tickling my boobs. <laughs> Are you getting titillated? <laughs> that is the true titillated. Okay, I've got I've got the court opinion pulled up. Let me search for titillated. Huh. It seems to say that no, in fact. <laughs> That's hang on, let me, tr- let me try to find exactly what. Okay. Oh, I found the exact paragraph. Okay. Here's what they said. Finally, the district court ordered order employed clinical anatomically correct language to briefly describe the nudity depicted in the photographs at issue the unquantifiable odds that an unsavory individual might find this language titillating oh, oh you know what i spelled titillating wrong that's why i couldn't find it so it says the unquantifiable odds that an unsavory individual might find this language titillating does not create a compelling reason for removing it from the public record, especially since the Demarees did not file their complaint under seal and, in fact, gave public interviews in which they themselves described the photos and the nudity depicted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree I, with that. Um, 
titillating has two L's. Oh, okay. Thank you for... <laughs> let me make a note of that here. <laughs> it's a word you use all the time. Yes, so I've been misspelling it this whole time. <laughs> Gotta get that tattoo fixed. <laughs> Secondly... Lisa and AJ's, and this is the one they really cared about. Lisa and AJ's counsel argued, no, the social workers should not have been given qualified immunity because the social workers violated their constitutional rights to family, unity, and companionship. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah, mic drop. Yes. <laughs> so here's the deal. Since the social workers didn't have a warrant or a court order, they needed a damn good reason to yeah. remove the kids from the home. And basically, they needed an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. And by a two-to-one vote, you know, it's this three-judge panel. Three-judge panel, yes. Um, two, two of the judges. <laughs> two, wait, two plus one. <laughs> <laughs> is what, three. Yes, that's Take it correct. out. <laughs> Let's not be wrong. Let's not be wrong. <laughs> So they they basically needed an emergency situation, and the court found you did not have one. Yeah. Again, by a two-to-one split, (laughs) the court said the two social workers did not have qualified immunity in the case. And here's what they said. They said the social workers didn't have reasonable cause to believe that the children were at risk of bodily harm or molestation because the kids were never harmed or molested in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, that takes that off the table. Absolutely. You can't argue, oh, she thought maybe they'd be molested or mm-hmm. hurt some way physically because, yeah. you know, why would she be thinking that that hadn't right. happened in the yeah. first place? Further, there was no risk that Lisa and AJ would take photos of their children engaging in sex acts because they'd never done that. Yeah. So, you know, that risk is off the table. So the court's basically saying, so what the hell was the risk yeah. exactly? That they'd see their own children naked? Because, because I bet they do that! Yeah, and they were like, basically said, given the children's ages, five, four, and one and a half, that's pretty normal for parents Absolutely. to see the kids naked. Yes. I don't agree with this opinion. Uh-huh. Um, I agree with the guy who dissented. Uh-huh. But I'm wondering, how, how do you feel about this? Purely on the basis of... Were their constitutional rights violated? Mm-hmm. I think yes. Yeah. And I think that yeah, if if the definition says that there has to be emergency situation for the social workers to get the immunity, what what did you call it? Immunity. Uh-huh. I have no idea. Qualified immunity. Qualified immunity. Yeah. Okay. Qualified immunity. I don't think it was there. Yeah. I agree with the two. Okay. okay. Yeah. I um it's funny. I can't tell if it's like... But at the same time, I think that social workers do hard work and you want them to be protected. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, yes. like, yeah, if we're looking at the strict legal definition, yes. then yeah, maybe they didn't have qualified immunity at that time. Cor- and yes. Yeah, in hindsight, you can look back and go, what was the risk exactly? And, yeah. But I just, I'm trying to put myself in that social worker's shoes. Absolutely. And, like, and they do work I would never. No. And for. And have to make calls that I would never want to make. And what if you make the wrong call? And so, exactly. yes, you always, I feel like you would always want to err on the side of caution. I'd be like, everyone's a child. Yeah, lock, lock them up. <laughs> Save the babies! Yeah. yeah. I mean, really? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. The majority rules, and they found that the social workers violated the family's constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. They were out of line. There was no emergency situation here. One of the judges who was in on that opinion, Judge Marsha Burson, went a step further. She added a separate statement, and she wrote... It is essential that the courts scrupulously guard a child's constitutional right to remain at home absent a court order or true exigency. Taking a child from his or her home, family, and community constitutes a separate trauma in and of itself. Which... I agree with. Yeah, yeah. They live out of their... I mean, their their life was flipped, turned upside down (laughs) for a whole month. (laughs) I want to play that song. Got flipped or nothing. <laughs> like I was saying, not all the judges agreed on this one. On the issue of whether the social workers had qualified immunity, two of the three said they didn't. One sided with the social workers. And that was Judge Jack Zowry. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how to pronounce mm-hmm. his last name. And that's the one you like. Mm-hmm. That's your boy, your boy Jack. That's My boy Jack disagreed <laughs> with the two other judges. Yes. He said the situation did present an emergency situation. And I liked what he said when he wrote about the type of danger that the kids might have been facing. So I'm going to pull up his part. I had to look up titillating for you, sir. I lost my place. <laughs> you know, the other two judges had kind of gone on this thing about what was the real risk here? You yeah. know, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. Yeah. What was the risk? That they'd see their own children naked? Yeah. Come on. So he writes, disagreeing with them... In other words, the potential danger was not that the Demerys would take more naked pictures of the girls. Rather, the risk was that the parents were sexually exploiting their children. As Peterson, the social worker, Mm -hmm. explained, inherent in this allegation is the concern that there is more to the situation than meets the eye. For example, that the parents may oppose the children or that the children may have adopted provocative poses based on behavior observed in the home. Without the benefit of clearer guidance defining the usual case, a reasonable social worker could be unsure how to proceed under these circumstances. I mean, I do agree with that. I agree with your boy, Jack. And he he basically goes on to say, like, she faced a really tough judgment call because of this three-day holiday weekend. You know, it would have taken a lot longer than usual, and... He also wrote, all involved in the child welfare system would be well served by clear legal standards from this court to assist social workers in making these difficult decisions. Which I agree with that too. Like, I hate that now this woman is being told she did the wrong thing. I mean, obviously she did. Well, yeah, and then, I mean, that's going to impact how she handles every situation for the rest of her career and how every other social worker is going to think about how they handle each situation and how they make a call. Yeah. So it is. It is a big thing. And so I I agree with this judge. Like, there needs to be something very clear that Mm -hmm. they can follow so that they're not going to be tied up in lawsuits Mm -hmm. and all this. You know what would be good is if they had one of those charts where you're like, okay, is it this? And then they follow the arrow down, (laughs) you know, and then do you this? And then they follow that. And it's all the, you know, the box. And then you come, yes, take the kids at the bottom (laughs) or no. (laughs) Have they thought about doing something like that? I like the idea of just, like, going up to someone and, like, making them be honest. Like, are you a child molester? Are you? You hey, tell me the Don't you lie! Don't you lie to me! And then like, you, you got me! See, just honesty or a good flowchart. That's Either right. One. Excellent flowchart. So, this is from ArizonaCentral.com. 
It says, because this is a fresh one. This, mm-hmm. like, this just happened, although we're recording. I mean, can you not call it a fresh one? That sounds <laughs> like a steaming pile of. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fresh turd. You're going to love it. But it's, like like we just said, we've recorded a million of these. Yeah. And none of them are That's online fine. yet. So it, it'll be real stale. Yeah. It's going to be stale by then. It's mm-hmm. going to be dried out. Maybe white from the sun by then. Ew, God. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in this article I found it said, lawmakers and the State Department of Child Safety are still working on language to define what constitutes an emergency that would allow a removal without a court order. A bill is expected in the coming week. So, I mean, hopefully this will happen. I want to close out with something from Lisa. She said in an ABC News interview, As crazy as it may seem, what you may think are the most beautiful, innocent pictures of your children may be seen as something completely different and completely perverted. Yeah. I feel so sorry for everyone. I do, too. That's that's the thing about this case. It's like, ugh. Policies were followed, but yeah, there was wrong done on all sides, but not like, you know, each person I feel like could say that wrong was done to them. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I think everyone's kind of a victim. And absolutely. But I and to me, it does seem like people overreacted. I mean, just yeah. hearing the description of those photos. Yes, now, I agree. I haven't seen the photos. Yeah. They released a few of the photos, but not the ones. Um, that makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> no, but, I mean, the ones they released are truly not uh-huh. anything. Yeah. I mean, they really are very innocent. Yes. They're just kids wrapped yeah. in towels. I mean, it's yeah. not anything. Yeah. But they didn't share the ones that, like, people are talking about with right. them on the towels. <sighs> but... So knowing what little I know, it seems like people kind of overreacted. Yeah. I agree. But, it's but at the same time, do you want them to underreact? Exactly. And have three, three children yeah. being abused or pictures being sold or... Yeah. Yeah, because maybe the kids weren't being abused, but maybe their parents were... Yeah. Oh, selling exploitive pictures of them. I mean, you don't know! Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I can't, I can't pick a side on this one. I can't either. Because I do, I feel terrible for the family. I feel terrible for the social workers. Yeah. You know who I don't feel terrible for? Who? Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel terrible for the photo tech, though. Yeah, you would feel a <clears throat> lot of guilt. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, how but, did this affect somebody? But that person, I think they were just doing their job. Yeah, I agree. This episode's also not brought to you by Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Dogging on some major retailers. <laughs> yeah, only really big ones. Yes. Maybe, hey, think local. Let's shit on a local business. <laughs> what should people do? People should like our page on Facebook. Absolutely. They should they follow should. us on Twitter. Yep. Uh-huh. That's a thing. I have a Twitter. Um, <laughs> you sound like you're 60. <laughs> I have not... Tweeted is that what the kids are calling it? In I oh probably two years. <laughs> um, I'm the same way. So if this thing takes off, I better get get on Twitter. Uh, I don't even have the app on my phone. So neither do I. Shit. Yeah, I we know. Better get our shit together. Well, I did. Start- this podcast brought to you by sixty year old women <laughs> trapped in thirty year old bodies. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will tell you 
bringing this back in. I I Facebook stalked Donna and Ramsey Scrivo. Both of their Facebooks are still active. No way. And public. No. Yes. For real? For real. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now I want to yeah. look it up. I know, right? <laughs> better wrap this up. Um, okay, so yes. Like us. Subscribe. Leave us a review. But only if you liked it. If you fucking hate it, I guess tell people. No publicity. <laughs> no publicity is bad publicity, as they say. <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> Listen, if you've been titillated by the show today, <laughs> tell a friend. That's right. Tell a friend, and maybe they'll tell a friend. It spreads like herpes. Can That's you- all we're asking, is for us to be like herpes. Can you imagine if someone was like, I just listened to a really titillating podcast, <laughs> and then they came and listened to this, they would be so disappointed. They would be super disappointed. <laughs> it's like, do you ever see on Netflix when they're like, they've got some documentary, like, Hot Girls Wanted or something, yeah. and like, the cover, you you can just picture some guy being like, ugh, this is gonna be good, <laughs> yeah. and then it's a serious documentary yes. about exploitation, yes. and it gets downloaded by yeah. everyone, like, Yeah. <laughs> People would be really disappointed. They would be. This is not a titillating podcast unless Mm -hmm. you are turned on by poorly pronounced legal terms. (laughs) (laughs) And zero legal expertise. (laughs) That is a weird fetish. (laughs) (laughs) There's one dude out there and he loves it. And this is the podcast for him. (laughs) All right. And I... Oh, um... Join us next week. Yes, when we will be experts on completely new topics. Podcast adjourned. (laughs) And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got most of my info from the Court of Appeals opinion, an ABC News interview, and an article from the Washington Post. And I got my info from a USA Today article by Christina Hall, and an amazing episode of Snapped. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. Journalism is a dying art, and it's all your fucking fault for not reading it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs>